0: The last class of my old professor's life took place once a week in his house by a window in the study where he could watch a small hibiscus plant shed its pink leaves. The class met on Tuesdays. It began after breakfast. The subject was the meaning of life. It was taught from experience. No books were required, yet many topics were covered, including love, work, community, family, aging, forgiveness, and finally, death. The last lecture was brief, only a few words. A funeral was held in lieu of graduation. The last class of my old professor's life had only one student. I was the student.
1: Fear motivates and restricts a lot of people Mm -hmm. from a lot of life. Plain fear. It's strange. It's unknown. It's something that might be injurious. Mm-hmm. You know what you're getting into. And so play it safe. Mm-hmm. Stay with the familiar, mm-hmm. with the habitual, with the known. Once you get out of your fear, you'll do anything. Go anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. That was the voice of Maury Schwartz, the Maury of Tuesdays with Maury. I am Mitch Album, the author of Tuesdays with Maury and the host of this podcast, Tuesday People, which is inspired by the writings of that book from 25 years ago when the experience took place. Alongside me is my friend and producer, as always, Lisa Goitsch. Great to have you here, Lisa.
2: Hello, Mitch.
0: Lisa is uh, broadcasting from Los Angeles. I'm broadcasting from Detroit. Both of our cities uh, have seen significant protests in light of the George Floyd situation and Even as Lisa is broadcasting with us right now, there are protesters just a few blocks away from her home here in Detroit, where I am. There are protests uh, scheduled for the afternoon and this evening. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what prompts this type of action, reaction, anger, and how it is hardly anything new. Sometimes we feel that, well, because it's happening to us, particularly if we're younger, that, wow, we've never felt anything like this before. But the fact is, this type of issue, this type of protest, this type of, of anger has been going on for too long a time. You can go back where we are in 2020, so go back to 1991, almost 20, almost 30 years ago, Rodney King, not far from where you are right now, Lisa, mm-hmm. and yeah. police brutality and burnings in the street and protests and things going on, a nation upset. You can go 11 years ago when there was a man named Oscar Grant in San Francisco uh, who was just caught up in an incident on a, on a subway on a BART train, didn't really even do anything, and somehow, shortly thereafter, as police were uh, razzing up people who were involved, ended up down on the ground with a police officer kneeing him in the back of the neck, not dissimilar to George Floyd, and another police officer shot him in the back and killed him. And he wasn't even, he was unarmed, wasn't doing anything. Dead, and there were protests, and there was anger, and there were calls for reform. You can go back to the 60s in 1967 in the city that I'm living in right now, in Detroit, where in August of 1967, the city half burned to the ground over confrontations between citizens, mostly African American citizens, and white police officers. This has been going on. If you took that as a starting point, and of course you know before that it was very difficult for african americans to protest because african americans in the country weren't even considered full citizens but right. the issue has been going on for for decades and decades and then the reaction to it when people get angry over things and then what seems to be the american way of protesting is protests happen with good intent with the point being, you know we need to change society, listen to us, here's our point, and then somehow devolve sometimes through anger of the protesters, sometimes through outside agitators who have nothing to do with it, sometimes with just opportunists who say, "Oh, great, some stores are going to be broken into. I can get myself a new television set or shoes or whatever it is." And, and, and suddenly, they are unfairly lumped in with the people who are protesting for real with something really legitimate to say, and then the issue starts to become, ah, look, they're destroying houses and they're destroying shops or destroying cities, so why should we be sympathetic to the cause? And everything gets all murky and lost when there is at its core here, Lisa, in my view, something that Maury and I talked about over and over and over and over again, humanity, humanity, to be humane, And as long as that is missing, we're not going to solve this problem. Now, let's talk about the situation that was just facing us, okay? Uh, Listen to what Maury said here when we were talking about what you have to do to get to the point where we won't have these kinds of differences between one another. Listen to what he had to say.
1: The capacity to have an I-Thou relationship somebody else. And to be full human means, in addition, to be capable of opening your heart with love and being compassionate. Now, I've said this before in other conversations. And when we reach that stage of evolution, where most of us are full human, there will not be these differentiations between black and white, rich and poor, we'll think of ourselves as part of the human
0: family. We'll think of ourselves as part of the human family. Now I ask you, when you look at the videotape of that police officer, Derek Chauvin, with his knee on the neck of George Floyd, for nearly nine minutes, while people were filming him, While people were saying to him, hey, let the guy up. He looks like he's suffering. Why don't you put him in your car? It's not like he was doing this in some private moment of rage. It was public. There were three other officers right nearby. And for one minute, two minutes, four minutes, six minutes, eight minutes, while George Floyd said things like, I can't breathe. Your knee on my neck, I can't breathe. Mama, he said, I think I'm going to die. Please don't kill me. screaming for his mother, and this man, with there's a photo of him with his hand in his pocket while he's got his knee on this guy's neck, almost casual in this posture. Now, is there anything about that that is fully human? Because a human being would not do that to another human being if no. we all felt like we were part of the same human family. I understand the difficult job that police officers have, and it is terribly difficult. I understand uh, that you never know what the situation is going to be, and you have to protect yourself. I understand protocol, and this is the norm when ambulances are on their way, all the excuses that are being given and will be given. But it doesn't erase the lack of basic humanity. When a person is suffering, and you are causing that suffering, and the suffering is not necessary, Humanity and being human and part of the human family would say to you, I need to stop, right? What I'm doing here is wrong. This man can't breathe. Above all, for a $20 bill, remember what was a cause here in case you're new to the story. The whole cause, he wasn't being accused of being violent with anybody. He didn't pull a gun on anybody. He wasn't threatening anybody. He was accused, I don't even know if it's been proven accurate or not. He was accused of using a false $20 bill, a fraudulent $20 bill. Now, that can happen to any one of us, by the way. Right. I've had that happen. $100 bills, $50 bills where they say this, is, this isn't good. I say, oh my God, how did I get it? Somebody gave it to me. That is hardly a crime that puts you down in the street as some kind of dangerous criminal with your hands cuffed behind your back and still with the knee on your neck. You don't do that to another human being. I don't care no. if you're a police officer or not. You understand what I am? I being clear on this with you, Lisa, because I hope with the audience. Oh, I am.
2: yeah. No, it's really um, it, it was it's hard to watch. It's hard to even hear you talk about it again. You know, when I think about it and you're right, he may not have even known he had that $20 bill on him. It's not like he had a printing press in his basement and they uncovered this and then they right. finally caught him. And, and in which case, that still wouldn't warrant this. Nothing warranted this. You know, it was, it was just the hardest thing to watch.
0: Well, nothing warranted it. And that's why it, the excessiveness, that's why people assume that it must have had to do with race. Now, we don't know for a fact that this cop wouldn't have done the same thing to a white Suspect. We don't know. It would have been just as wrong. An Asian suspect, a a woman, it doesn't matter. As Maury was saying, if you don't think of yourselves as part of the human family, if you make differentiations between, well, there's me and there's other people, whatever that me and other people there is, and that doesn't just mean black and white, that can be male and female, that can be sexual orientation, that can be Religious orientation, that can be foreigners. As, as long as you make a distinction between yourself and other human beings, you're excluding people from your family, the human family, then you are capable of doing almost anything. Here is Maury again. And here's the, the, the reason I'm playing a lot of clips today is I want you to remember, ladies and gentlemen who are listening to us, this was 1995 that Maury and I were sitting together. 1995. 25 full years ago from today, and it is if nothing changed. And he was frequently talking about stuff that happened in the 60s when he was on campus at Brandeis University, which was kind of a hotbed for activism back then, including civil rights activism. Right. So listen to what he says about why people look to blame other people when society gets fearful, because remember the context of where we are here now. We're in a very splintered country, politically, under the Trump administration, and there was a lot of it under the Obama administration. We have, we have cleft ourselves in two in such a way that no one can recall, short of the Civil War, us being so politically divided. So we're divided. We're scared. Now comes coronavirus. Coronavirus. And now people don't know even to trust the people who look like them and, and are, are their neighbors, we can't be around them. All of a sudden, you've got all this pressure on people, and what happens? You look for a scapegoat. Listen to Maury talking about this in October of 1995.
1: When things get tight, you always look to blame somebody. So you blame the black criminals or you blame the black mothers, have kids out of water with luck, or you say they take unfair advantage to affirmative action. You're looking for a scapegoat. And they're not finding the right one, the right scapegoat and the right point to thing, a place to find you, finger like is the greedy corporations. But people are blind to that. Inside, They want more and more and more. Everything is the bottom line. And these poor individuals are made scapegoats for corporate greed.
0: Now, the corporate greed point aside mm-hmm. for the moment, we can do 10 shows on that because things have not improved in that area since 1995. No. But looking to blame somebody... That's another thing that's going on right now. Everybody is is looking to blame somebody involved in this. Uh, Now, the police force is rightfully, in my opinion, being targeted as, you know, how could they allow something like that to happen? But I'm sure there are good cops on the Minneapolis police force somewhere. I don't think this is systemic that everybody's like this guy. I mean, I hope to God nobody else is like this guy, but... Sadly, we've seen so many cases of this that that you can't really say that for sure. But there are people who want to blame every cop, every police officer, right? right? That's one group. Then there are people who are blaming the victim. Well, you didn't have to resist arrest. Uh, I didn't see much resistance. I saw most of the video and for a guy yeah, who looks like, yeah the guy, for a guy who looked like he could have knocked out every, all, all the police officers involved, right. he's a very big guy. he allowed himself to be taken from the car, he was handcuffed. I don't know what he said, but I don't care what he said. I don't care what comes out of somebody's mouth. When you have somebody handcuffed, he is subdued. What's he really going to do when he's handcuffed? And then not you get good. him down on the ground, and then on top of down on the ground, you've got to put a knee on his neck. There, there's no so so. But people are blaming him, blaming George Floyd, and saying, "Well, if he just would have been nicer about, you know, if he had, wouldn't have wouldn't have used that twenty dollar bill in the first place, if he would have resisted, not resisted arrest, then the, as, as as if it's his fault. Looking right. to blame somebody, right? Then there are people who are now blaming the protesters. Well, you see, this is what gets agitated. They're breaking into stores, they're looting. And and of course, these people who are looting and who are are committing violence are not honoring George Floyd, and it's not justifiable. And most of the responsible leaders in the African-American community are saying the same thing. They're saying, what are you doing, including his his family?
2: But they're also, we have to separate them from the protesters. Right. And you have to separate the two because it's unfortunately taking the spotlight away from these people whose hearts and souls are in these protests.
0: That's right, that's right, and uh, and 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 really, they sh- they shouldn't even be called protesters. They should be called opportunist looters. Uh, and, yeah, but everybody's right. But they're looking to glom onto that. And of course, if there are any African Americans in that group, then there are people in the country who say, "Well, look, African Americans are committing these." vandalism crime. So how are we supposed to be sympathetic? It all goes back to what Maury said. Everybody looks to blame somebody, to blame somebody, to blame people who aren't like you instead of trying to try to find the humanity and the common good that we have together, the ways that we are more alike than we are different. Now, Maury was, as I mentioned, no stranger to social protest. You could not be if you were on Brandeis's campus in the '60s, there was just no way. First of all, it was the Vietnam War, and that was uh, one of the biggest things they were protesting. But all kinds of civil rights and and other, other issues. Uh, Brandeis was a hotbed. Jerry Rubin went there. Angela Davis went there. Uh, Abby Hoffman went there. So you know you have a, you have a that's like a, a pantheon of uh, of '60s right, rebels,
2: was... <laughs> uh,
0: and they were they were Brandeisians at some point in their college careers, and so he saw quite a bit of um, protest, And in fact, he supported uh, the protest. And he would, he would say to me, he said, you know, I saw a lot of kids who didn't know really what to do, and they were a little lost, but I felt that I could, I could support them and help them not make mistakes, protest responsibly, do the right thing. But he said he, he liked the fact that they were engaging in activism of some kind, Because it's a lot better than being passive and just having no thoughts about anything. I think about most of, well, not most, but a a percentage of our college kids today who just want to play Xbox. (laughs) So so I'll go to college, I'll play Xbox, and I'll be done. So which really is better, to to, to, to go to a march about the environment or about uh, justice or about civil rights or things, or to play Xbox? Uh, But here was Maury talking uh, at one point when we visited one another, again, 1995, about protests and when they are effective and what are some of the challenges for them to be effective. Listen to what he had to say.
1: I think if you have a good cause, a large protest is a good way to start doing the hard work. You get a lot of energy and uh, enthusiasm, and hopefully you can carry on from there. The whole problem is motivation. People have so much to do. carry on double jobs. They have families. They have their backyard they have to keep planted. And on and on. When are you going to time find time to protest? So You really have to be motivated.
0: Now, I, I read that, listened to that, and I found it very interesting because I believe one of the reasons that the protests are as strong and as widespread as they are is directly related to the coronavirus pandemic, because this is happening during a time when people are not allowed to get together. It is technically illegal in some of the states where these protests are happening for that many people to gather. But people are seeing that, oh, well, we can protest, we can get together at a protest, and, and you don't get in trouble for gathering, let's go. And there's, there's a certain enthusiasm to gathering, and people aren't working. They're home. They're not racing off, as you heard Maury said, doing double jobs, uh, keeping their gardens planted, all that. They have the time right now. And so if someone wants to organize a protest at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's not a barrier like it would be on a normal Monday or Tuesday or whatever, right?
2: Right. And also, I think that we've all been tea kettles just boiling for the past three months and with, you know, being cooped up in your house and not being able to go out and not being able to do anything. And then something like this happens and everybody's got such anger and passion and everything about it. So they're taking to the streets. And I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't seen all of the protests going on, but I know here in Los Angeles, it was a striking number of people who were not wearing masks and shouting. And I keep my, I'm having this nightmare scenario of three weeks from now having a, another, uh, you know, outbreak. And I just think being cooped up, and and not to mention, so many people are out of work, which is causing such stress to people and such strife. It's It, it has been the perfect storm. This could not have happened at a more imperfect time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. It's the, the timing of this is, is very unfortunate. And yeah, we don't even realize what the physical ramifications of this might end up being in, in some of the states. But there's no question that, no. as you correctly point out, Lisa, the, the emotion has stirred people, the, the, the lockdowns, and then suddenly, well, I, I, I'm not going to be locked down anymore. This is too important. You have a feeling of, I have a reason. To be out there risking myself—that's a big motivation right. for people as well. And well, uh, and you know,
2: well, Constitution trumps uh, any sort of uh, local laws, right? <laughs> Our right yeah. to assemble it trumps everything, so we're allowed, right? I mean,
0: yeah, well, <laughs> that's right. I mean, if you're talking about the basic uh, American principles, getting together for something like this you you don't see people being arrested because they've exceeded fifty people or ten people right. or whatever the number is, and so. Uh, I I feel for all the parties that are involved who are trying to keep peace, both the protesters and the police, uh, in addition to the fact that nobody wants to get that close to anybody, you know, uh, the police are not in a hurry to be arresting people and having to get close Mm -hmm. to people. They don't know they're risking their lives. Uh, You know, they've already been risking their lives. And I I find it very interesting. two Two weeks ago, six days ago, police were on everybody's, Front burner as first responders, we love them. Wonderful what they're doing. You know, we we always forget how much we appreciate the police and fire people and first responders. And now all of a sudden, they're being vilified uh, because yeah. of one person's issue. Now we should say that this was one really bad cop, one really bad issue uh, person. It is emblematic of issues that have gone on and on and on and on, and that of course touches back on the on the issue of race. And this is a difficult, and and I should say it right here, I'm Caucasian, Lisa's Caucasian, if you didn't know that when you were listening to us. And I always feel that if you're going to talk about race, you have to immediately say, listen, this is from an individual perspective. There's no way that I can feel what an African American feels when they look at that image as disgusted I. as i am as broken hearted as i am as uh, as i when i saw it i just I, I couldn't even stand up i watched it again and again but still it's not the same as thinking that could be me that could be my son that could be you know anybody who i know who is uh, in my family who happens to have this skin color and so there's no way to understand that but that should not stop People who are not African American from being empathetic and trying to express support, because otherwise you say, "Well, well, I can't, I can't address it. I can't speak to it. I'm not black." Well, that's not right either. You know, wrong mm-hmm. is wrong. And if we're going to talk about being in this human family that Maury mentioned, then you absolutely have to talk about it. But there's the issue of race. It goes. Back and on and on, and it'll probably go on for many, many more decades to come. Maury and I spoke about it during our visits on Tuesdays, and I remember we were talking about uh, some of the problem and some of the antagonism towards African Americans, even back then, even in the fall of 1995. Listen to what Maury was saying to me, and it's a conversation that just happens to be pertinent today.
1: They're still alive leftover mm. prejudice and hatred and wanting somebody to be subservient to you. Why? Because you are such an immature small ego. It's all about much of it. it has to do with not feeling enough of a a full human being, a mature human being, so you look for somebody to put down, Mm -hmm. to be superior to you. Black people are right when they say most whites are racist. Even if they aren't racist in their actions, you think of a black person, really, uh, a rare person doesn't make the distinction between black and white. And it was somehow, or other. I mean, making the distinction, you're saying you're a little better.
0: So it's hard not to feel that when you look at that image of the white police officer looking so indifferent to George Floyd with his knee on his neck. But we also need to remind people that that is one bad person, and one. I don't even know what word I could use. Just just uh, insensitive is such a weak word. Uh, inhuman, maybe, is better. But that is not everybody. And I do think that we have made progress in race relations since 1995. I do think that as young people, don't make the distinctions that older people do. Mm-mm. And it's not the issue to them that it is. And, and dating and 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 uh, cross-cultural musics and things like that, dressing, all that, the the differences are... uh, If you talk to any kid, it's just not as big an issue with them as it might have been in our generations or for our parents' generation. So I do think there's some progress there. But I understand why African Americans will always assume that someone looks at them and a white person looks at them and says uh, to themselves, makes the distinction mentally... Uh, African-American person, white person, just as I, I think, by the way, people do with uh, when they see Hasidic Jews who are dressed you know, in, in, in long, dark clothing and beards and whatever, they're very visually distinctive. Oh, well, that's uh, a, an Orthodox Jew. That's different than me. Or when you see uh, the Amish people who clearly are easily identified or Asian-Americans or Native Americans, people do that. I think that's almost sadly, part of human nature right. that we can't get past is that, you know, we immediately think that's a person that's different than me, right? You want well, to brain, jump in yeah, that.
2: your brain, Yeah, your brain just categorizes, I think. You know what I mean? Your brain just automatically categorizes people, whether you, as Maury said, you're conscious of it or not, whether you're racist or not. You know what I mean? There is a certain categorization that takes place.
0: Right. And so I asked him, Right after he said that, I said, well, how do people correct that if people are sort of wired to recognize differences and to look at someone and say that person's different than me? That person's black and I'm white. That person's white and I'm black. That person's uh, you know, Asian and I'm uh, Native American, whatever the case may be. And here was his answer.
1: By self-consciously watching when you do it and saying no to yourself. There have been times when I felt this person was rude to me and it was a black person. I had this reaction. Yeah, it's a black person being rude to me rather than this is a person being rude to me. Regardless of its Mm color. But it's built in. You know, and you gotta build it out by continuing recognition. So that now I really recognize black from white. And after a short while, I forget all about it. Mm -hmm. So it takes a matter of effort and discipline. No doubt about it.
0: So what he's saying here is you have to consciously do some work. You are wired a certain way, just like we're physically wired a certain way. It would be nice if uh, you could you know, eat pizza every day and then get up and run 10 miles and there would never be a problem, but it doesn't work like that. And so you've got to condition yourself and you've got to stop eating the pizza and you've got to slowly work your way up to the 10 miles and all that. That's a a simplification of the issue. But the point is, if you are already pre-wired to sort of start to recognize people's differences, you've got to unwire yourself. You've got to say to yourself, am I angry Because I'm making an assumption of that person's skin color or that person's religious garb. If they're dressed in in, uh, Muslim uh, hijabs, am I immediately making some kind of assumption about how they're acting towards me? And you've got to unwire yourself from that. You've got to say, stop before I make a judgment. Let me put myself through the ringer. Let me not put the other person through the ringer. Let me put myself through the ringer. Would you say this, if you're, I do this a lot as I've gotten older, would I say the same thing if my brother, who is, uh, my brother's a, a, a uh, you know, he's a, a, a vocal person, he expresses his opinion, and I love him, you know, and I find it, it can sometimes be acerbic and other, but I, I find it funny, and you know, I, I just, it doesn't bother me. But I'll, I'll ask myself, well, if what this person just said to me, if that was my brother, would I say no problem, no issue? And am I taking offense because it's not a member of my family or doesn't look like me or doesn't act like me and try to put myself through that ringer and substitute someone I know and care for into the same action that the person did and then would I treat my brother that way? Would I treat somebody that I love the way that I'm feeling right now? Now, I'm pretty sure that if, this officer in Minneapolis had gotten a call about someone trying to pass a $20 bill, and he showed up, and it turned out to be his next-door neighbor's son. Right. I'm pretty huh. sure he'd never be there with his, a knee on the guy's neck, right? Never. I doubt Never. he'd ever even handcuff him. So clearly it makes some kind of difference. You're making some kind of an assumption about someone that you know versus someone that's a stranger to you. And then it's just a short distance to, well, someone you know versus someone who's a stranger to you, someone who's a black stranger to you, or, or a different color, skin color is you, or a different religion than you. And you, you allow yourself to become desensitized that much more at each level takes you away from who you are. And this goes back to what Maury was saying at the beginning. If you think of yourself as part of the human family, the human family, then there won't be that distance. Every person you judge will be one of your brothers or your sisters, right? And you won't have that differentiation. So I asked Maury, what could we do about this? This was less than two months before he died. Lisa, and I read these things over and I just see, it's, it's crazy, and he, he was not happy about what was going on in the world back then, just two months before he died. And he was worried about the, the future of our society, our American society, and here's what he had to say when I asked him what he saw for the future.
1: Everybody's frightened, distrustful, ready to do violence. What does that mean? either anarchy is going to reign, or you're going to have a military state, you know, where it's martial law. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never felt that before in my 78 years, or 70 years of consciousness, but I am really concerned. And a lot of it has to do with just simple disregard the basic human dimensions of things, you never hear on the media, what is the importance or relevance or significance of this law, idea, principle for individual human beings who cares? That's really the whole issue. So the answer is making a caring community. That's not easy, but if you had that objective, you can start to work on it.
0: So here he was two months before he was dying, and he's saying, we're going to have a military state or martial law, which there are parts of the country right now and cities in the country <laughs> that looks pretty darn close to that. Heck and he yeah. said, yeah, simple disregard for the basic human dimension of things. Isn't that what we're living through right now? Simple disregard of basic human dimension, basic humanity of another human being. And as I say, this was back in the 90s. And you could go back 30 years before that and have the same discussion 30 years before that and have the same discussion. So if the problem isn't new, then the problem is that our solutions to this point have not worked. And trying to legislate our way out of this. Uh, You know, like I I said, I wrote a a piece about this on Sunday. And I said, well, so what can you do in a situation like this for this police, this particular police event? Well, you can legislate. You can outlaw chokeholds and things like that that are still allowed in police department maneuvers right now. You can eliminate the blue shield as they call it you know the 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 uh kind of cops protecting other cops and mm, that's not, a big one you know, not ratting on one another not you know uh, you can eliminate some of the legal hurdles there are and i won't get too deep into the weeds but there are a lot of legal hurdles to try to convict a police officer because the way the laws are written right now and some supreme court decisions there's sort of a, a almost a uh a tilted playing field in terms of a police officer's right to uh, presume that things are going to go bad or et cetera, et cetera, it's really hard to prosecute police officers. Uh, you could do all these kinds of things and change all these kinds of laws, but you can't legislate humanity. You can't pass a law that just says you must have common decency in dealing with other people. And this was just a, a simple fact of, of just comment, whatever was in that guy's heart, there was no law that was going to change that. To be that insensitive and to, and to allow people to film you and make comments, he's fine, he's fine. And, and it's how ridiculous you look with a knee on another person's neck for nine minutes and to not have any regard. It's, it, it's an animal. You, it, you wouldn't treat an animal that way. I shouldn't even say that. You, wouldn't, you had less regard no. for him than he would have for an animal. It was very close to squashing a bug. There is right. no there is no law that you can pass to make people have humanity.
2: No, but I, I blame also the other three cops that were sitting there. They had mm-hmm. no humanity either because right. they were the only ones in that group that could have stopped him from doing that. And nobody stepped forward to do so. And so... None of those people were doing anything that you've been saying, which is look at this person as a relative. Look at this person as your brother. Look at this person. They were looking at it as protecting another cop. And all of what you're saying right now and all of what Maury said came into play here. And boy, we have a lot of work to do. do. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of work to do. do. I don't know if it'll ever change. And but let well, let me say one other thing, too. This guy had what, 18? Was it 18? Yeah, prior. Different right. complaints against him right. that- clearly and two of which were taken seriously prior to this he should have not been out there anymore i i would say just like a criminal three and you're out you know what i mean like if you can't be a humane cop and and by the way i bet you it's really hard to be a cop and to not see all the stuff you see every day it's extremely you know yeah
0: and nobody reports on all the all the good things that they do and all the bad things that they see on a daily basis and have to put up with on a daily basis and and the and and the tolerance that they have to show when they probably you know if you were in that same situation you you'd you'd have lost your tolerance a long time ago and oh. and and the history of of maybe they've got friends who have been attacked shot killed right. uh, over the smallest of things so you no know, i have just as i said before there's no way i can put myself in the shoes of an african american man there's no way i can put myself in the shoes of a police officer and what they have to deal with and what they have to do no, and never. i'm not going i'm not going to but but I, I agree with you that the other three had a human obligation to step yeah. in and say, you know, I don't care if right. I don't care if we're all police officers here. First, we're human beings, and until we start to think of one another as human beings, I, I, there's a, there's a part of me that wishes it would be a science fiction movie. This will be a great Twilight Zone where the whole world all of a sudden woke up and everybody's skin was ripped off. We all functioned, we all moved around, but you just saw like the veins and the what, and you couldn't tell who was who anymore. You couldn't tell, you know, everybody was just the the, the that. Uh, uh, what do they call the chart? The bio, bio biological chart that you see in in your in your right, classrooms yeah. when you take biology, or you see in a doctor's office. Yeah. You know, it's everybody was just the inside, and everybody had to walk around. Would all this go away, or would we find a way to say, "Oh, his veins are skinny, and you know, my veins are thick," and we're going to separate into? Yeah, the look at how people, red and... her
2: muscles are. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, we'll leave you with uh, this thought because I, I I asked Maury. Okay, so what do we do with this? Uh, you know, what's the way forward out of this? And perhaps there's a little bit of hope in this sentence here.
1: I really believe even what's going on that the road to survival is to take responsibility to and for each other for the physical environment with compassion. Otherwise, we are suck because you can't carry on a complex society such as ours, just on the basis of impersonality and divorced of concern about the well-being of the other person, it will break down.
0: So let's hope that ours does not break down. Let's hope that some of the wonderful examples of common humanity that we have seen in the COVID-19 thing, where people have come together to try to help one another, um, That type of humanity will rise to the surface here. Uh, Let's hope there's some action that comes as a result of this and some healing. Uh, But let's try to remember we all are part of that same human family. And really, without that, there's no way you can prevent a situation like this occurring again. But with it, it won't happen again because you wouldn't treat a member of your family that way.
2: Or as my mom always put it so eloquently, be nice. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> Two words. Uh, we do this podcast nice.
0: every Tuesday. Uh, and we're glad that you were able to spend some time with us in the Tuesday People Podcast. We wish you a, a good, safe week, a quiet week, and, uh, and, and a loving week with the people that you care about. And hopefully uh, a peaceful week for this country. Until next time, on behalf of Lisa Goich, this is Mitch Album saying we'll see you next Tuesday.
2: Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because after all, we're Tuesday People.